we need to stop throwing the damn baby out with the bathwater and assume that decentralized everything just works because it's decentralized. These things that we have now, they're still in their earliest phase. We barely understand them, and they're going to evolve into something that is so mind-bogglingly different from what we have today. We have to look to each structure and abstract out the things that work and try to create new mitigation systems that solve the problems of the existing ones. And when we make the next iteration, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Welcome to the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, I sit down with Daniel Jeffries. He's a science fiction author and longtime Hacker Noon contributor. So this is an amazing episode if you want to learn more about cryptocurrency, as well as artificial intelligence, and the philosophical implications of working with these technologies and what they mean to our future. Hey, Hacker. Sorry to interrupt this great podcast. It's David Smook, founder and CEO of Hacker Noon, and we're raising money for the first time, and we're doing it from the people. If you want to buy shares in Hacker Noon, visit HackerNoonShares.com. Help us make the best place for tech professionals to publish. Tell us a bit about who you are and what you're working on. Thanks so much, man. I'm a science fiction author. And you can find a lot of my books on Amazon and Apple Books. I've been an engineer for 20 years, especially working open source, building big web farms. And most people know me from my blog. A lot of my best and most well-known articles have gone viral on Hacker Noon. In particular, I write about future technology, so artificial intelligence, cryptocurrency. And I tend to write about it in a way I think few people are writing about it on the planet, in that I tend to look at it from a very long-term perspective, which is a natural perspective for me as a science fiction author. I tend to do what I call a Monte Carlo analysis of the future, where I'm looking at lots and lots of different variables and how they all come together. And you've got a very philosophical approach to your writing. I said when we were talking a little before we started recording, you know, you're, you're somewhere between trolling and philosophy a little bit there, and you, you inject some humor into it. And you've got a very unique approach. Can you talk about what your latest article is about, what it will take for crypto to boom again? Sure. And it's interesting the way my style develops. I think everybody starts off when they want to be a writer, maybe it takes a decade of them kind of screwing around, waiting for the muse to inspire them. And then you finally make a commitment in your heart that you're going to work on it every day. And then it only takes a decade before anyone gives a shit. So that's... That's pretty much the process. And then, it, so it's only 20 years to become an overnight success or, or a decade to become an overnight success. The other thing is, you know, most people will tell you these articles, they got to be, you know, seven minutes long and they got to be about fluffy crap. And I just broke all those rules by just basically writing 20 <laughs> or 30 minute pieces. But, you know, it seemed to have an appeal once I kind of found my own voice, which took a period of time. The crypto space was something that fascinated me a lot. And I felt that people were looking at it from very simplified level. They were just looking at it as a way to purely make money or ICOs, Lambos and everything else. And, and, and that's fine. But they were missing out on the real potential of the tech. And they fell into what I would call the Satoshi box, which are we solve this like unsolvable problem. It was like Zuko's triangle. And then we go, well, this is now the only way we can do it. And yeah. so it's just everything is a clone of a clone of a clone. And what will it take for crypto to boom again was about the, the problems that still really exist. I've kind of written two articles on this. The first one was the five keys to crypto evolution. None of those problems have been solved in that article. And then I layered on a few new ones. And one of them is you know, we 
can't scale to visa level transmission come just starting to do stuff like that. That's going to take many, many years of research and development. People are very impatient. And what I what I always say is they look at an iteration of the technology rather than a category of the technology. So category is home video recording technology, and an iteration is Betamax, VHS, LaserDisc, DVD, Blu-ray, DVR. And so the idiots look at Betamax and they go, this will never work. Look at all these flaws, right? And they project it indefinitely into the future with no changes. And they don't realize that this is like, the whole point is the evolution. Mm -hmm. So we've got to scale better, got to have better usability. The way that these apps work is insane. Like, if you've ever tried to walk your mom through buying crypto, okay? Now I want you to imagine, if you, if you could do it in less than two weeks, you're a freaking genius, right? So, so you, you're going to get her to get signed up on a centralized exchange, get a username and password that she remembers, get two-factor authentication set up, get her to wire money into the account, right? Get her to then buy crypto, then set up a local wallet, transfer the crypto out of there, and then load up an application that like gives you restaurant suggestions. Like what? Okay. <laughs> like, no. Okay. It's just, it's not going to work this way. It is just not, it's, it's, it's totally insane. And so we have to get beyond these types of credit interfaces. We have to solve these scaling issues. We have to build applications that are already do all the same things that the current crop of applications do, plus offer additional benefits. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be as good as Instagram, plus do a bunch of new shit. That's how innovation happens. Or and, be equal to Instagram and then protect your privacy or like have some additional benefit right. being a decentralized service or network. Right, right. And, and then it, what I really iterated on is a new thing that I'm sort of working for, for a stealth startup a, a concept. And I think we have to start looking to the past and not just to the future. And when you look at DAOs, for instance, a decentralized autonomous organization, they're nowhere close to doing what they need to. They go, oh, it's a smart contract. And it, it sends out a couple of ether every time somebody does this brute force trigger. Companies have been evolving for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. In hundreds of years, they've built structures to manage people, hire and fire people, incentivize people, get people going in the same direction, motivate people, create products and services, deal with logistics and supply chains. DAOs can't do- religion. The hierarchy of a, of a business structure comes like directly from the Catholic Church. That hierarchy that you have set up at the Catholic Church is almost identical to a hierarchy that you set up at any startup or all the way from startups all the way up to like full enterprise corporations use almost identical hierarchies that you find in a church. That's where those ideas came from almost 2000 plus years ago. Yeah. And also the Roman Empire, the societies, right? If you look back, even the Assyrians had like early contracts and a lot of this about this concept of limited liability and shared risk. There's actually a great book on this called The Company, A History of a Revolutionary Idea. And it's, you look back and you realize all of these concepts of limited liability that we take for granted, that you could have small investors buy a portion of a company and put in the risk. And if the ship sank going out on some crazy, you know, risky mission, they couldn't take your family to jail, right? It's just that their risk was the ship and your risk was your capital. And so we crowdsourced risk and, and that allowed us to start thinking about the future and building cool things. And then governance structures, rule of law, all of these things took forever to develop. I mean, the Dutch East Indies company and British East Indies company, they pioneered global trade, bringing things from near and afar, 
and they also pioneered monopolies and slavery and some other <laughs> horrific shit. But you know, they actually, it actually was the British East Indies Company. We think companies have a lot of power now and are, are cyberpunk. We we don't know shit. The British East Indies Company had an army that was double the size of the British army, and they took over India after a hundred years. The British nationalized that army, so that's how powerful they were in the past, and they've evolved, right? If you look at something like John Jacob Astor was the first you know millionaire in the United States. He basically had about eighty five million when he died, which is about 2.2 billion today. He had about five people working for him, okay, in his fur trading company. When Sears came along with the railroads and and the railroads changed everything, communications, they started shipping stuff all around the United States. They had a catalog that started with watches that turned into a 500 page catalog selling everything. They had thousands of people working for them. They pioneered automation and middle management and structures and logistics and supply chains. We need to stop throwing the damn baby out with the bathwater and assume that decentralized everything just works because it's decentralized. It's like that, you know, I'm working on kind of a federated hybrid system now. Like if I can solve a couple of problems, like what I call the Equifax problem, okay? Equifax is one of three trusted central middlemen for like processing your credit card information. They lost half the information in the United States. There's no way to remove them from the chain. Okay, they are still there as a trusted entity, and they probably made money off of it, which is insane. So they, if I got my data, um, I was part of the Equifax hack. It was someone tried to get in my bank accounts. Uh, right. Someone tried to impersonate my identity. Right. Uh, it's a major problem. Um, right. It's real, and you're right. They probably profited. I mean, they actually sell a service. I've seen their commercials on TV where like they're literally like, "Is your information on the dark web?" It's like, yeah, it's on. <laughs> yeah web because you let them have it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking at designing a system right now where we can, we can have a federated system for certain types of centralized trust where, where people can be yanked out when they become a bad actor or they become cancerous. If I can solve that one problem, mm-hmm. people are always trying to solve these incredibly complex problems. Like the Dow itself, when you look at the projects that are out there, it's like, maybe you got a reputation system, maybe you got a smart contract. It's like, you haven't figured out how to hire and fire people how to have no management structures, how to have incentives, none of these things, all of those things are gonna to have to be reinvented. So for me, there's now an interim step. That it, by looking back at things at the end and iterating on the things that have worked and that haven't worked, right? If we can find a way to punish companies when they come bad, if we can find a way to stop companies from having to grow to like a cancer and maybe even get rewarded for establishing an equilibrium, another problem that we have today. Mm-hmm. Anybody solves these type of problems, changes the world in some way. And eventually we get to, to what a DAO is, which I'm starting to believe is there's technology behind a DAO that just isn't invented yet. And it may take, it may now take several decades or whatever for some, for a real functioning DAO. I predicted that we would have a DAO in the you know, fortune 500 or something like that within 20 plus years. And that's still possible. But I, I'm starting to feel like there's an artificial intelligence somewhere in there or a series of gamified governance structures or something that nobody is thinking about that's just not there. But it is not just, hey, we'll all work together in Kumbaya and like no problem and like we're all the boss. Who the hell orders paper clips in that? That's called the brave new world problem, right? Nobody orders fucking paper clips when everybody's the boss, right? So you, you have to have some type of hierarchy somehow or you have to automate that hierarchy. I don't know how we do it yet. But that's what it takes. We have to build real shit now for crypto to actually boom again. That's for mm-hmm. me. We may get another speculative run, but the fact is it's got to actually start doing stuff. And the average Momo has to be downloading it and going like, this is awesome and not know 
yeah. that they just got free privacy and security in the back end, right? It's, and it's, that's that's going to be the moment, I think, is like blockchain five, 10 years from now, you're not even going to think about it. Like, is anyone talk about the network that we're using today when they're playing PlayStation 4 or like, oh yeah, that's using this network type and, you know, you're using this protocol. Nobody talks about that. Like, that's the joke when I go to these blockchain events. I like, I show up and I'm like, we're all here for a database. Like, this is a database conference. Like, right. <laughs> that's what's happening. Hey, hackers. Do you have a timely tech story you want to get published? Maybe you recognize the way certain systems trend, affecting our everyday lives, or have a vision of the future for the blockchain technology. Maybe you're on the field of play and know what it takes to make a great team, or how to remain agile in today's competitive, tech-rich environment. Share your expertise with the community at large on Hacker Noon. Email us, stories at hackernoon.com, and a real human will review your submission. No, you got people out there like, and it's like the early days of the internet. They're out there hawking TCP/IP and DNS, like it's something that people want to buy. Yeah. Oh, you you, you want to buy some DNS? No, <laughs> I, I want to buy the application that utilizes DNS that I never have to know what DNS does. That that's what I want. Exactly. And we're, we're just not there yet. And what I encourage people to say, have patience. Okay, this is not something that takes overnight. I've talked about this in one of my articles, like where the gentleman created a Velcro. He had the idea when he was out walking his dog and some birds got caught on the fur and it took, I don't know, uh, 10 years for him to develop a prototype. Then it took another five years to figure out how to manufacture it. And then he's like, man, people are going to be to pass to my door. And it was another five years before NASA was like, man, we're having problems getting people in and out of spacesuits. This, this shit looks pretty good. And then all of a sudden, people were using Velcro. That's 20 freaking years, right? It's, there's the famous internet article, The Internet Bah, which I wrote about in the, in the, you know, what will Bitcoin look like in 20 years? And what's funny is that article is so prescient. He, he figured it all out. He's like, we, the, the internet pioneers tell us we're going to be buying papers and books on the web and telecommuting and... and, and and having me and all of a sudden, BS, you know, it's never going to happen, right? And it's like, that was 20 years in. People forget how long it took for the freaking internet to take off. And now you can't imagine your life without it. People are so short-sighted. You know, that, what's his name? Uh, Rubini or whatever, that jackass out of NYU, that fucking fucknut. Seriously, like that guy, that's a black, there's a, there's a trope in writing called black and white insanity. When you view the world as like, it's this or that, it either completely succeeds or it completely fails. You're a fucking idiot. It's as simple as that. You are a fucking idiot. I, I don't know how You're else to describe this. Like most of the mainstream media right now as well. Right, no, yeah, no. It, black and white to them. Right. It's all black and white. There's no shades of gray. There's no understanding in the middle. It's either a total scam for drug they dealers. And colors too. <laughs> right. right. It's just, this type of, these guys get off on, on, on being idiots, on being like inflammatory, on stoking people's worst fears. This is not how technology develops. The fact that this guy has tenure is a joke. And especially at my alma mater, fuck that guy. I mean, seriously, it's just the, the fact that they put him anywhere and, and call it a glorified, you know, he calls it a glorified database. You know, I know you were joking about it earlier and, and in many ways it is funny to, to call it that, but like, it's also a fundamental misunderstanding of the technology and what it offers, right? So in the crypto community, but when some jackass comes in without understanding jack shit about anything, Right. And especially economics. Like, seriously, you're going to come to me with economics. Let's, let's face it. The Austrians and the Keynesians don't know shit. You know why? Because it was based on shit from like the 1800s. 
when we had analog statistics. We don't know shit about economics. We're, you know where we're going to know stuff about economics? When the freaking AIs are watching all the, the ships pulling out of the port and accurately counting them and all the shipping containers on there. That's and that when like random country issues a fake report on how much their GDP grew, right? We're going to actually be able to see real-time money moving across the world, and we're going to actually start to understand economics. It's going to shock everyone because nobody, everyone is talking out of their ass about what they understand about economics today, and we don't understand Jack. We really don't. It, I think it's really important to, you know, establish that is when it comes down to economics, these are made up systems. Like these are, these are professors. These are guys working at, you know, federal reserve banks that are just coming up with mathematical theories and equations and saying, Oh yeah, this is how it works. Um, right. But they're not actually, there's no science behind this. There's no like, there's nothing like solid behind it. It's, these are literally just someone's opinion of how they think economics work. But you're right, once we have AI that actually is tracking all of this, and we actually have the data in real time, and we can actually do that analysis, once you start implementing these blockchains and actually start getting access to this data, when you've got functioning supply chain management and you have that running through a system where all this data is actually available, I think people are gonna be really, really shocked with both how inefficient the world actually is, but yet, equally how efficient it is at the same time, despite all those inefficiencies. Um, because, I mean, most yes. things are duct taped together. That's kind of the reality of it. Yes. Like, these are systems that barely function and like a breeze can knock them over. Um, it's like, it's, it's crazy. Right. Um, we rely on technologies that barely work today. If this is if economics is caveman level shit right now. Listen, think about this. Like, for like before, like before the industrial revolution, maybe two hundred plus years ago, everybody was a farmer, was a farmer, was a farmer, was a farmer, was a farmer for the first like five thousand years before that, right? And then before that, we were running around in the forest, hunting and gathering for two point five million years. Okay, so we know shit about economics. We've been we've just been building companies for a hundred years. The industrial revolution, buying and selling things bringing stuff from around the world people you know people shit on globalization you know what i, I like it in fucking paprika from afar okay like it, it's nice to have that shit like i agree that it could screw shit up too like it's this is again it's not black and white right it's like we when over here and it's sort of replaced by a giant you know homogenous culture like there are, there are real issues but the real issue is not that i'm getting vegetables from a you know a land that i that, that I would never be able to get it from here, right? Uh, I want vegetables here. Vegetables are good. I'd like to eat them. So people buying and selling goods from afar go back to the Silk Roads. They go back to Persia. They go back to the, all this time. But this is really only hundreds of years, right? And, and before that, it was, you know, a thousand years before that, it was very, very simplified, right? It was always sort of these military cultures that kind of spread out over the world. But but these things that we have now, they're still in their earliest phase. We barely understand them, and they're going to evolve into something that is so mind-bogglingly different from what we have today. And we're, it's just going to blow people's minds. Like kids tomorrow, they're going to be like, what, it took three days to send money? What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. I, I don't understand. <laughs> right? It's sort of like, like when you, they look at the rotary phone and they're like, where, where, how do I send pictures on this fucker? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's just, it's like a tree or, you know, or a, a smartphone is like a tree or a, a wind. It's always there. I literally there. just paid my rent today and I had to pay a $10 transfer fee. Like every time I pay my rent, I'm paying 10 bucks, right. like a $10 transfer fee. Like, so the bank is basically just getting a cut 
for a transaction that should be happening directly between myself and my landlord. Like there's, there's nothing the bank is physically doing. There's no infrastructure that like I'm leveraging here that is costing them $10. Nope. No, it used to, in fact, think about like how they used to have to pay tellers. Okay. And now they, they get rid of all the tellers and then they give you an ATM machine and they charge you to use it. Okay. So it's, it's <laughs> they, these, these types of things. I, I don't look, I'm not, a to, I'm not going to totally crap on banking though. I think banking is also really essential in the modern world. Again, a great, having the ability to think critically is one of the very few things that, that people are able to do well in the world. And that is they either are, you know, you know, which team are you on, Dan? Are you on this team or this team? Are you on the banking is all evil or banking is all good? I'm on the, both of you guys are idiots team. Like that's, that, <laughs> it, there's, bad, there's bad things and good things about it. It's like, we're always throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's, we have to look to each structure and abstract out the things that work and try to create new mitigation systems that solve the problems of the, of the existing one. And when we make the next iteration, we stand on the shoulders of giants, mm -hmm. the people who came before us. These, these structures have, have made the modern world and in many ways they're good. It doesn't mean that they're all good. No. Right. That's why there are new iterations, but is Sears better than the British East Indies company? You're damn right. They are right. Because they were shipping goods to, that people were never able to get except for their local artisan. They weren't taking over India. Okay. So these things do evolve over time. And if people would just wake up and take a look at each individual thing, as both good and evil, you know, right and wrong, is somewhere in between and abstract out the things that work and, and leave the things on the cutting board that don't. That's how you iterate a system. That's how you grow and learn. And I feel like we're always kind of taking this, this very extreme view and it gets, it gets us nowhere in life. It creates these sort of tribal, tribal battles that, that leave us you know, unable to understand how to actually create something better for ourselves. Heyo, you got a great tech story you want to get published? Maybe something about bots taking over Twitter or how Bitcoin actually works? Or maybe you just have a story about how to build a great software or a great team? Get your expertise published on Hacker Noon. Email us stories at hackernoon.com and a real human will review your submission. Nope, I fully agree. And it's I mean, we live in a time of divide and conquer psychologically, you yeah. know, we're constantly, constantly being bombarded with propaganda and all kinds of things to make us think that way. But the reality is it's, you know, as you said, it's, it's looking at both the good and the bad and figuring out how can we, how can we mitigate the bad and how can we leverage the good in all of these systems? Cause I agree. I don't think banking's going anywhere. I think banks, are actually going to be one of the acquirers of a lot of this blockchain technology. And they're going to implement a lot of these solutions because they have to, because it's competing with their bottom line and how they function. So the banks are still trusted entities for the vast majority of the world. So they're not going anywhere. Um, they're going to leverage this technology and we're going to get some of these freedoms and we're going to get some of that privacy. We're going to get some of these advantages of decentralized networks through a bank. I think uh, you know, the best case scenario for me is that the decentralized systems, the fully decentralized platforms boot up as a parallel economic operating system for mm -hmm. the world before the centralized powers build their own surveillance DRM uh, centralized choke point versions of this technology, which is coming regardless. I mean, people yeah. uh, don't seem to understand that, that this is coming no matter what. It's already being built. 
no question about it. So these things are happening. The best bet is for the decentralized versions to take off and act as a check and balances on the worst and most egregious violations and screw-ups of the centralized versions. But they both will exist. Both will have their purposes. We'll have ad hoc banks with sort of local people that we trust. Banks will probably evolve into reputation systems. They'll have to work with other banks in the same way that open source changed the way that people did develop, right? It's the kind of thing where in the past you would build an R&D department, build your brand spanking new program there, spend a $50 bazillion, and then you put it out and open source would clone it. Nowadays, all of the projects start in open source. Everything that you think about, artificial intelligence, cloud, anything that you can think of, uh, Docker, containers, uh, the management of those containers, yeah, publishing, everything starts as open source. And now you have all these companies that are working as, as frenemies. For me, that's the way I see a lot of these systems going in the short term is a federation where people have, are, are working as, uh, in a selfish way, but also in a selfless way. It's more like that John Nash equilibrium where you have the old concepts of economics where everyone did everything that was good for themselves and nobody else. But the truth is that we find a balance somehow. It happens at an unconscious level, right? There's that famous scene where they're all in the bar and trying to figure out you know, how they're going to meet the girl. And if everybody goes for the, you know, the, the one that they all like, then nobody wins. And then and he realizes that it kind of has this thing where you start to balance out. It's like, well, maybe this time um, these two people hook up and these two people hook up and then everyone kind of starts to find uh, you know, a mate. And, and, not every, and not everybody succeeds and not everybody wins, but more people succeed and win. So we tend to do what's good for ourselves and for the system. And I think more and more we're going to start to go towards these federated systems, these systems where there are controls to rip bad actors out, where there's th- these hybrid systems between the old and the new. As long as we don't get the pure totalitarian versions or that the totalitarian versions only exist in kind of the worst places in the world, th- those things are, I-, I have nightmares about every day and I want to make sure when I'm creating stuff, I try not to give the bad guys any ideas they don't already have, but they already have them right? They already have all these ideas. And they're already going to, you know, if you think about things like geolocate, if you have geolocation on the money and you just decide, well, this is a rebellious area, I'm going to turn off the geolocation, I'm going to turn off the money transactions in this area, these types of things, you could starve out a whole population. So all kinds of horrific, hideous things are coming. But I'm I'm still very hopeful, bullish about the technology developing something into, developing into something that people can use peer-to-peer and to enable all kinds of freedoms that we've never been able to have before. Eventually, we'll corrupt it, just like we corrupt everything. Look at the internet, right? But the internet, I would argue, is a positive force still. You and I are having this progress over the internet. Wikipedia is something that when you look at it, if somebody pitched that to you, you go, what the that this will never work, and it works, <laughs> and, it's, and it's awesome, and you, you know, we buy books. Right. I mean, the, you know, these types of things, that, again, good and evil. And with any luck, we, we foster more of the good and less of the evil. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it's the concept of as above, so below, which is kind of like one of the early like hermetic principles. Um, and that's, you know, this is, this is how things actually work. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that don't realize that there actually are kind of some laws to our universe. Um, you know, I don't know if you subscribe to like, uh, you know, metaverse theory or, uh, you know, multi-universe theory or anything like that. But, uh, you know, there, there are some kind of laws that, you know, govern our interactions with each other and also that govern just the interactions with the environment, uh, you know, from energy to frequencies to vibration. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm 
you know, talking more Tesla here now, but, um, sure. you know, there's, there's definitely, you know, all these things are true, both on a micro level, whether we're talking something specific as banking and crypto, but also on a macro level of simply how humans interact with each other and interact with our environment around them. And all these concepts and all these principles, like as you kind of started out this podcast, this stuff started in the past. This is, these, these cycles have been playing themselves out, you know, thousands of times for, you know, possibly millions of years. Uh, and now we're just at this point where all this technology is becoming available to us at this one, like unique moment in time. Uh, and it's both horrifying and beautiful at the same time, because there's so much good that can come from it, but there's also so much evil that can also be, you know, delivered because of these advanced systems. I mean, artificial intelligence, I would say, like, I, I can't predict what AI is going to do because it's going to do what it's going to do. Um, you know, what are kind of, what are your thoughts on like where we're heading with this artificial intelligence based on where the tech's at today and where you see it going? So I get, there's a good talk I gave on uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of artificial intelligence. It was uh, the closing keynote at the Rise of AI conference in Berlin, and I'll also be speaking at the the one coming up in 2019, uh, next year. And it's 2018, right? <laughs> the uh, so uh, what I, what I talk about is I, I again getting back to a sort of gray area understanding where there's going to be both good and evil. We already have AI doing some bad things, and it's actually not the bad things that everyone imagines. Sentencing algorithms come to mind. We've been using them for a decade to say, uh, to recommend to judges who gets to get parole and who doesn't. Well, if I, if, I, if I put an artificial intelligence, today's artificial intelligence, a deep learning system or something, to study the history of the American justice system, what am I going to find? Right. Okay. Like I'm going to just create the same biases and horrific thing. Let's just call it. And we're going to call, we're going to send brown people and poor people to, to jail. That's what we're going to do. Okay. So, and you know, somebody who, who looks like me is, is probably going to get a, a different score and that's unfair. So we, I worry more about the dumb humans behind artificial intelligence than I ever worry about super intelligence. Okay. The, we're, we're not even close to creating consciousness. We have no freaking clue. We don't know where to start. We don't have the algorithms. We don't even know which algorithms to start designing. We have no idea what we're doing. These, these things are really neat when we can create pattern recognition systems and we can detect cancers better on, on the skin with visual recognition systems and we can fly drones, but do not make the mistake that these are uh, conscious systems. And in fact, one of the things that I almost always lambast is that, that, Nick's, that Nick Bostrom book. Sorry, guys, but I can't stand this book. Sorry, Elon Musk. That book sucks. It, that super intelligence book is ridiculous. It's, it is a ridiculous, scaremongering, freak show of a book. I'm sorry, but it's garbage. Like one of the examples in there is a super intelligence that is tasked with making a paperclip factory efficient. And it decides to get so efficient that it turns all the known matter in the universe into paperclips. And people use this as a serious example. This is a ridiculous example, okay? I'm a pretty smart guy. I'm not a super intelligence, but I can tell you, if you task me with making a paperclip factory more intelligent, I'm just going to tell you to fuck off or I'm going to give it to somebody else. So no super intelligence is going to be doing this job, number one. Second of all, it's not going to decide to turn the entire universe into paperclips because that's super stupidity. So we can't even classify it as a super intelligence. We can classify it as a super psychotic, stupid machine. So these kinds of things are, are where like people are having this dialogue and this dialogue is insane. We're, I mean, we're not close to creating terminators. We're, we are, I am more worried about a giant data mining brute force 
surveillance artificial intelligence that can track down protesters and journalists and put a bullet in their head than I am about like terminators rising up and deciding like to exterminate the human race, which, you know, by the way, like, you know, we, we might be smarter when we're augmented with, with artificial intelligence. I actually think that the future is going to be centaurs. Most people don't understand the not actual like fairyland centaurs, but most people don't know the history of, of, of Deep Blue and Kasparov. So after Kasparov lost to Deep Blue, he, he hosted another tournament the next year where you could enter as an AI human team, an AI only machine or a human in a chess tournament. And the, the one that won was a, a three person team uh, with an with a artificial intelligence and it blew away the AI supercomputer. And they were working together. In my opinion, we're going to start working together more efficiently with the machines. You look at a company like Stitch Fix, where the uh, machine gives them genetic iterations of different kind of clothing styles, but then the stylist is like, you know what, that's actually cool. I never thought of that, or this is garbage, go iterate something else. Or it knows how to do routing better, and it doesn't show people the things that aren't in the local factories when they come in. Or it does sentiment analysis when people type in their feelings about the clothes that they got and it will go look at the the lady's pinterest and find a a blue dress and say oh look there's kind of something similar in the in the warehouse and show that to the designers to me these types of things are where artificial intelligence is going to be best when you think about something like lung cancer uh which had like an like, 80 or 90 percent false positive rate and they, they just did a kegel contest on that a year ago for a million dollars to improve those algorithms yeah, I want it to be something where the tech is working in concert with an artificial intelligence to have a better chance of catching it because it lowers the costs of the drugs because it, the people who need them get them in time and the people who, you know... Uh, don't, don't take a drug they don't need. Don't take it, exactly. So these are the types of things that to me are very exciting. It's going to be, again, both good and evil, but people are wasting time thinking about these doomsday scenarios and these artificial intelligence takes over the world. You and I are going to be long dead before that's even a reality. And if it's even a reality, I, and it's just a foolish one when we have real issues to deal with right now and, and, and real good things that it can do right now. Yep. I'm excited for the day when the computer understands what I'm trying to do at any given moment and identifies it and then assists me in accomplishing that task or automates the task or sees that, hey, you've done this more than three times. Maybe I can help you get it done faster the fourth time. Like those to me, like we haven't even gotten there yet. Like we don't even have the software to be able to do that yet. I mean, we're in the early days of having the tech to be able to do that, but it hasn't been implemented on a consumer level yet. So like once my operating system on my computer is aware of what I'm trying to accomplish and can help me do it, that'll be a really beneficial day because that means I will be able to use a computer less. Um, yes. Which is, I, I, as a, you know, as a, someone who runs a tech podcast, like I can't wait until the day where I don't need to use a computer as much. Um, yeah. My neck hurts. Like, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, there's tasks that I'm performing on a weekly basis that should and could be automated. And I just don't have access to the algorithms or the technology to be able to create simple algorithms to be able to just do that automatically for me because it's identified that, Hey, you're, you know, you're going to release another episode of your podcast. Like, do you want us to initiate that sequence for you? Yes. Hey, you're editing this. Like, you know, last time you edited this interview this way, would you like to use that same formula again? Like those types of things are going to be so beneficial once we can actually implement this technology on that kind of a level. 
you know, where it goes from there, I can't tell you. Does it end up being a doomsday scenario? I don't know. Um, but I am definitely looking forward to the day where my computer understands what I want from it. Uh, rather than me having to constantly tell it what to do, it tells me, hey, here's a better way of doing this. And, and we're going to get better at these. Like right now, basically, the, the things are all about big data and these deep learning algorithms and these things that, that only big companies can implement. We're eventually going to develop algorithms that are one-shot learners that learn the way humans do. You don't take your kid out in the backyard and show them one million images of throwing the ball. Like you throw him for two weeks and he figures out how to do it. Now, he may have an aptitude towards it and be better and go study over time, but he can figure that out. We're going to have algorithms that are open source that are able to kind of do these things without having to go feed everything back up to the big surveillance state in the cloud, right? We're going to have all of these things. And even now, you can start to see some of the tiny benefits, like in the new Gmail, where it starts to complete sentences for you. And it does a pretty good job a lot of the time of like, just, oh, I just tab complete three words. And that's going to get better. Or if I, I'm going to have an app on my phone, I talked about that in the Rise of AI, where I just click it and, oh, look, yeah, this, this mole should be looked at. I send it over to the doctor. The doctor will have the infrastructure to look at it. And now the nurse, when I call, is going to know hey, this guy isn't just a hypochondriac. He should actually get prioritized and triaged right in as opposed to, well, this, you know, this guy called five times and every time he sends a picture, it's, it's, the AI said it's nonsense and the doctor looked at it once and said it's nonsense too, so he can come in next month. So it, right now when somebody calls in, you don't know whether the person has a real issue that they need to have looked at now, whether they, or, or whether they're just faking it or whether they're just paranoid. These types of things are going to augment it. Think about the 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 a drone getting to the scene of uh, of an accident first and be able to scan it and send pictures back to the tech so that they know the types of things that they need to be prepared for before they even get out of the flying ambulance or whatever we're going to have right mm -hmm. these types of things are going to be super exciting as much as we're going to have killer tech and, and military ai and all this stuff again i still worry about malicious humans yeah Behind those, I'm ever going to worry about super intelligence. Humans have, have proven to be, you know, one of the most craven and idiotic and dangerous species ever to walk the face uh, of the planet. So I worry about them a lot more than I worry about AI. Yeah, and I worry about what they can do with that AI once they start to implement it for the wrong purposes. I mean, I mean, you could even argue, you know, although it wasn't necessarily AI's fault, but you could probably even argue that, you know, even like the 2008 market crash. You know, that was the result of humans making bad decisions um, with money and the economic system that resulted in crashing the economy that, you know, pretty much wiped out, you know, an entire generation's ability to, uh, you know, be able to move forward. So um, mm. it's, it's people, unfortunately, that we have to worry about, not the machines. And the machines just unfortunately kind of weaponize them to do evil in ways that they couldn't do as the, the, the scope of which they were they're able to accomplish is now a lot grander. And I, we're seeing that, you know, a little bit with like the censorship issues that are taking place right now with social media, uh, Twitter, Facebook, you know, right now, you know, there's all these issues with, you know, we should shut down Gab because I, there was like a shooting recently and, you know, the guy hadn't be on Gab. Well, he was on Twitter and Facebook as well. So there's all these calls from, you know, the media to, oh, we need to shut down Gab. Well, are we going to shut down Facebook and Twitter because, you know, this guy was using all three platforms. So, uh, you know, shutting down an entire platform because one person did something, you know, horrible and insane, uh, you know, doesn't really, 
you can't, it can't reflect the entire user base of an entire platform because one person did something evil. Um, so yeah, I've never understood that mentality where it's sort of like, well, you know, you know, five kids watched a video game and, and went out and shot somebody, which is like a, a, a tangential cause at best. And it's like, well, yeah, but 300 million other people played video games and did not. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if you understand how basic probability and statistics work, but that, you know, the argument doesn't make any sense, but we make these kind of arguments because humans are irrational. We're, we're, we're great at seeing these sort of like big flashy threats. It's like, mm -hmm. we're actually wired to see snakes better than anything else. Like you can actually see a snake in a photo almost faster than anything else, even if it's not moving because it killed so many of our ancestors. We love flashy threats, lightning, you know, the, anything that we can simplify down, that's the essence of the big lie. And in politics, I don't do politics, but I, but I do like the historical thinking behind these things, behind sort of totalitarianism or, or insanity that uh, generally in, <laughs> that comes to power. And, and when you look at these types of things, they... Uh, once once they happen, it's like this. It, it just it doesn't stop. But we are in, we're really bad at looking at threats that are much more real than happen over an extended period of time. That's why people don't exercise or like they don't they don't worry about eating crap and smoking every day, even though heart disease kills like one in four men. We so we spend we spent like four gazillion dollars, I guess four trillion dollars or whatever on on fighting terrorism, which kills like point oh 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 one percent of people. And one in four people die of, of heart disease and we spend like ten billion dollars a year on that. Yeah. So humans are terrible <laughs> at understanding actual risk and then and and putting the money behind that risk because probability is weird and and mathematics and statistics are weird but big flashy threats are easy to identify so it's easier to think of the nick bostrom's paperclip monster than it is to worry about sentencing algorithms so daniel can you tell us uh when you've had to hack something in your life after all this is the hacker noon podcast you know you've been writing for hacker noon for a while so what is one of your hacks so I, I think in the like very early grade school days, a friend and I hacked the the teacher's computer to like display um, obnoxious messages and lock her out on the on the screen. And uh, and this was a I won't even tell you the model of the computer at this point because it'll really date me. And <laughs> uh, and then I'll also sort of sidestep this and say that I spent a lot of time hacking my mind and trying to understand how it works and try to understand all the biases that, that humans have, all the inner weaknesses and, and dark spots that, that we have so that I can think more clearly, make better decisions, and, and see farther in, into the distance than most folks uh, without uh, getting wrapped up in my own sort of predilections. I, I'm particularly good at stepping outside of myself not in, not in my personal life. I, I particularly suck at that. But in, uh, when I'm looking at a big problem and I'm trying to understand a system, I can zoom in and take a look at it from a conservative perspective, a libertarian perspective, a liberal perspective, everyone's perspective. I can go look at it. I can see the plus and minuses on all sides. I can see the advantages and disadvantages. And I think that's one of the, if anyone wants to spend time hacking anything, spend time hacking your mind, spend time learning how to think critically. It's one of the fastest dying skills in the universe and one of the most useful. There's actually, we've actually got an episode coming up soon that you uh, might be interested in. It's on ego hacking with uh, Casey Fenton. Uh, okay. he, uh, he's the guy who founded Couch Surfing. Uh, definitely recommend that episode. Uh, it awesome. should be out before your episode gets released. So. Uh, if anyone's listening, you know, you can go find that on the podcast as well, because um, it should be out awesome. when this episode's out. So, 
you know, I'd love to get your uh, final thoughts before we wrap up here. You know, I'm just uh, excited to, to have done the show. Hacker Noon's been tremendous for my sort of personal growth. Uh, David and I worked together in the very early days when it was, I think, magazine number 150 in terms of popularity. <laughs> and uh, and so I've been writing for it a long time, and it's always delivered kind of tremendous, tremendous things. If people are interested, they can always find me there directly on Medium. Uh, I've got about 50,000 followers. You can find my... Uh, science fiction on on amazon people can follow me on twitter at uh, dan underscore jeffries one do not go to dan underscore jeffries because that uh fellow gets a lot of my traffic and he is a german like um um toad sexual genetics researcher i swear to god so he and i've had some funny <laughs> back and forth so does dan underscore jeffries one and then of course my patreon uh is uh, how i kind of keep a lot of this going for folks. So I always appreciate when people check me out there. Awesome. Well, thank you for contributing to Hacker Noon. Uh, you know, it's awesome to have a major contributor finally on the show. Um, and, you know, it was awesome having you on the podcast. So thank you for doing this. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate you having me on. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.